Before we jump into this episode, a quick reminder that everything said on Bell Curve is a meme and nothing said on Bell Curve is financial advice. Enjoy the app. All right, partner. Uh, this one's going to be a fun one. Um, here today, we're going to be, this is the last uh, interview episode of this season of Bell Curve. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin coming to Cosmos, uh, the collab that we didn't know that we needed, but now that we know it's a possibility, we're all super excited about. Um, you want to talk a little bit about who we've got on the show today? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, today we'll be speaking to um, developers of, of RollKit um, and the Babylon team and and an application developer and Aiden from Stride. Um, and so, you know, I think we have we have a wide range of perspectives on on how Bitcoin plays into this app chain conversation. Um, then we also have the perspective of a builder who is, you know, thinking about these different stacks and and you know thinking about how to make the best possible version of of their product, you know, and by leveraging different parts of the stack and security models. Um, so, I think. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, I'm really excited for this one. Um, and I think it'll be a great way to kind of tie together a lot of these themes that we've been talking about um, through the whole season. Same partner. And just to give listeners a guide, because in the beginning, this is a little bit of a technical episode. So the the first probably half or so of the episode, we're really digging into what does it mean to this kind of uh, alliance between, budding alliance or potential alliance between Cosmos and Bitcoin. So we talk about what does it mean for a chain to inherit the security of another chain? What are some of the different approaches, right? Both in Babylon and kind of the the nascent roll kit uh, that just sort of got rolled out, <laughs> um, and like what are kind of some of the trade offs in between those solutions? And then we sort of end uh, with Aiden kind of talking about things from the perspective of a uh, an app chain developer in the Cosmos ecosystem. So I think we covered a lot of really interesting ground, and I think that's about all the audience needs to hear from us. So without any further ado, let's just uh, dive right in, huh? Into it. Sounds great. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. This is the final interview of this season, so super, super excited to do this. Uh, Miles and I today are joined by uh, Javed, David, and Aiden. We're going to be getting into backgrounds there in a second, but welcome, fellas. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank for having us here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Uh, today, we're going to be kind of broadly exploring this idea of the um, you know, in the last episode, Miles and I were kind of exploring this idea of the Cosmos app chain thesis playing out on Ethereum. And more recently, uh, we've kind of shown, we've kind of seen signs that uh, there might be an intersection, a very interesting intersection to explore between Bitcoin and Cosmos and kind of the app chain thesis as well. But before we start to dig into that, I think it might be helpful just to do a super quick round of intros uh, for those on the call. So maybe Aiden, can I kind of pick on you to go first and then and we'll just do 30 seconds on who you are and the project that you're working on? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm Aiden. I am working on Stride. Stride is an app chain that provides liquid staking for Cosmos. Uh, so what that means is today we support ST Atom, ST Osmo, ST Evmos, ST Luna, ST Juno, and ST Stars. Um, but we're going to be adding about 20 more LSTs this year. So the way that Stride works is we provide uh, LSTs or liquid staking tokens trustlessly through IBC. So it's a cross-chain liquid staking protocol in, in Cosmos. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Aiden. Uh, Javid or David? Oh, I can go. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Javid. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I was, um, hey, hey, everyone, I'm Javid. Um, I was working at Optimism earlier on their Bedrock release. Um, before that, I was part of uh, 
a lot of uh, uh, blockchain-related projects like Handshake and Decrack. Um, I also published this paper along with my colleague at Perth called uh, Inventory DOS, like Indros. We found um, a lot of DOS vectors in a lot of cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, uh, multiple versions of Bitcoin, in fact. Um, and now I'm working at the Execution Environments team here at Celestia, um, building out Rollkit. Um, and recently, um, uh, I made it possible for Rollkit to use Bitcoin as a DLR, uh, which we'll be getting into today. So that's me. Go ahead, David. Okay, great. Um, good morning, everybody. So uh, I'm David. So uh, I started this project, Babylon, about a year ago. Our goal is to bring Bitcoin security to the app chain world. Um, so our focus uh, so far has been on Cosmos, which is very natural, being the one of the predominant uh, app chain world. And uh, right now we've built a test net. We launched it a few weeks ago. Uh, in fact, we just had a shared security summit. We organized one with Eigenlayer last week. So um, right now there are eight Cosmos chains on our testnet integrated with uh, Babylon bringing Bitcoin security, including Osmosis, Juno, Secret, and other chains. Um, I'm a, also a professor at Stanford, and uh, this research for Babylon comes out from our research lab at Stanford. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, David. Stanford is definitely one of the good ones that uh, many folks here will have heard of. Um, I actually think that the mission of Babylon is probably a really good sort of jumping off point. And maybe before we get into the weeds, uh, maybe we could just do kind of like a high level sort of definition definition of terms. So I think uh, it might be very good to kind of just define when we talk about app chains being able to borrow or leverage the security of Bitcoin. Can you just get a little bit more granular about defining what does security mean? What are the properties of security? Yeah, so uh, you want me to start, right, Michael? Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, security is basically a robustness of a blockchain against attacks. Uh, so one can think of security as a multi-dimension object. So for example, one can think that there are maybe roughly four types of attacks that one can attack a blockchain. Uh, one is a uh, double spend attack, short range double spend attack. Number two is a long range double spend attack. This is happening when unbonding has happened. The third attack is an invalid execution attack where you create money from, from nothing by having an invalid state transition. And the fourth is a liveness attack and liveness attack can further be broken down into censorship resistance or just the whole chain got stalled because you know, some validators did not update the software properly. So those are the uh, four attack vectors that I can think of at a high level. Uh, maybe Aiden and Javad can add if they think that I'm missing something. Yeah, maybe if there's uh, another attack vector where because of um, an invalid state transition, the network partitions, and that is the most, um, uh, I think, uh, like, um, the, the attack there is like, um, when you have a network partition, it's very hard to, uh, like bring consensus back. And, um, we saw this happen with, for example, when we disclosed, uh, in DOS, which was like a DOS vector, uh, this falls into the category of liveness, uh, attack that David just mentioned. Um, because of the disclosure process, which takes a long time, um, because we 
we did a responsible disclosure. So we disclosed to the Bitcoin developers first. And um, the risk of not doing this properly was that in case you have uh, a role uh, or a release patched out for, for fixing this uh, uh, bug, uh, and it's not evenly patched on the network all at once, you would have a network partition because some nodes would upgrade uh, and some wouldn't. And if, for example, um, because of some malicious actor, if this bug was exploited, <clears throat> then you would have uh, a part of the network going down and a part of network keeping going uh, on a different, like on a different path. And because of this, uh, it would cause a network partition. So this was a uh, this was the worry for most of the developers that are working on distributed systems, because in contrast to traditional infosec practices, um, the chances of uh, patching a bug uh, going horribly wrong are much higher because um, there's just so much more complicated uh, than a centralized entity like Apple, for example, uh, patching a bug. So um, there are definitely uh, uh, a lot of um, complexities involved in fixing bugs uh, and um, gen generally approaching security uh, when it comes to distributed systems, especially like Bitcoin. That's, that's great. That's really helpful. And I think we'll, we'd love to get into, you know, a little bit later how, you know, Babylon is helping uh, proof of stake chains inherit some of these properties from Bitcoin versus how, you know, sovereign Bitcoin rollup would, um, but yeah, I think that's probably a good time to transition over. So, so Javid, you, you released, you know, a, um, a post this week that describes what, uh, a Bitcoin sovereign rollup would look like using Rollkit. Um, so maybe just just take a take a step back. Could you could you give a high level overview of what Rollkit is? Um, you know how how is Rollkit different or similar, like aligned with Celestia? Um, and then exactly what what is you know what are you describing here when you say a, a Bitcoin sovereign role? Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are great questions. Let's dive into those. So first of all, uh, Rollkit is a modular modular framework for building rollups. Uh, what do you mean by modular? Um, you can have um, all, like, all the components of a rollup, uh, which are typically the execution environment. So this is like, for example, get like EVM, um, or for example, uh, like uh, Cosmos Watson, or like uh, maybe uh, yeah, maybe like Fuel and all these. So uh, these are the execution environments. Uh, these are like one layer of the stack, um, and um, the other stack, the other pieces of the components of the stack are like, for example, data availability. Um, like, how would you do sequencing um, the sequencer? How would you submit like intermediate state routes? So, Rollkit includes all of these modules, um, just as Cosmos SDK uh, allows developers to create new uh, blockchains using the whole uh, Cosmos stack. Um, Rollkit allows developers to create new rollups and with the same level of modularity uh, because each component is uh, is its own package and nicely uh, um, like it has abstractions uh, defined so that uh, they can be switched independent of each other. So uh, our goal with showing uh, Bitcoin uh, as a data availability layer was to uh, highlight that Rollkit is easy to integrate with uh, a third uh, with with uh, any uh, data availability layer, um, and 
this is what we did in the last week. Um, coming to your second question, um, how is RollKit related to Celestia? Well, RollKit is uh, a neutral project. It is not uh, related to any single uh, entity. Um, but um, you can use RollKit for um, for having uh, use. You can use Celestia as data layer for RollKit uh, using RollKit. So it is possible because RollKit is modular. Um, but we wanted to highlight that uh, it's easy to switch away to Bitcoin and uh, you can have uh, just as easily any uh, other data availability layer implemented. So this is what we did. It's great. So it's basically, it's a demonstration that, you know, this framework is so modular and flexible that you could use really any L1 for, for data availability, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Celestia or Ethereum. Um, and in, in the case of the Bitcoin sovereign rollup, it is, you know, it is basically completely relying on, on Bitcoin for data availability and consensus. Um, whereas I think maybe with Babylon and we can, we can kind of transition over to, to David, I think, um, with Babylon, you're really supplementing, I think, security with, with, with Bitcoin pointing. So, uh, I would love, love to just kind of. Uh, David, if you wouldn't mind giving an overview of what of what Babylon is is working on, and you know specifically, maybe I saw the Osmosis Babylon proposal um, was approved, you know, on chain recently, and I uh, would love to give you know viewers an overview of of what that proposal um, is uh, describing. Yeah, great. So yeah, maybe in a high level, let me explain a little bit about the um, the overall goal of the project Babylon. So if you look at um, the world of shared security, there are basically two sources of security, main source of security in the blockchain world. There is Bitcoin on the one side, Ethereum on the other side. So if you think about the development of the Ethereum ecosystem, it starts with Ethereum, the, the chain, and then there's a fundamental problem, which is scalability is, doesn't scale. So rollups is what appears as the scaling solution, main scaling solution right now. So rubs get scalability, and by using technologies like ZK and fraud proofs, it shares as much as the security of Ethereum as possible. Now, what we see the next step is that now, if you have many rollups, then there's a problem of interoperability. How do these rollups talk to each other? And that's what we see the recent, I guess, you had a previous um, episode on Superchain. So you can see the direction here from security to scalability to interoperability. Uh, interoperators is still very much a work in progress. Now, if you look, however, outside Ethereum, then in fact, we already have an ecosystem which is very strong in interoperability, which is Cosmos. So Cosmos already have sovereign chains which have interoperability. And because they're app chain, it implicitly have scalability because all these app chains are running in parallel. What is missing though is security. So sometimes you think about it, we're now working backwards, right? We're starting from Cosmos, uh, an architecture, an ecosystem already have interoperability and scalability, but now we want to bring back uh, security. So it's the opposite direction. But now there's a very natural source of security for that, which is Bitcoin. And uh, so that's sort of what we are, uh, the goal of the project is to take the uh, Cosmos ecosystem or any other ecosystems which will have interoperability. For example, IBC is now going beyond Cosmos how to add the Bitcoin security to that to make it secure. So that's the goal of the project. Um, 
Now, going into a little bit detail as to what kind of security, whether as a sub as a supplement, uh, one can think of it in two ways. So, basically, the core technology is to offer a timestamp, a Bitcoin timestamp, stamp on every single block of every app chain. So that's the goal. Okay, every app chain, every block has a BTC timestamp. And Babylon is the technology that enables us to do that. So this is a very scalable technology. Uh, and it allows many, many chains to simultaneously get the Bitcoin timestamp. Now, once you get a timestamp, there are two uh, types of defense that uh, Babylon can provide through Bitcoin security. One, as I mentioned, is long-range attack. So long-range attack is when you have unbonding and then the attacker creates an alternative fork. It's a special type of double spin attack, but it's very serious because you cannot protect it through slashing. So right now, the solution is ad hoc in the app chain world. It's like a 21-day or 28-day unbonding. Uh, basically, using Bitcoin, you can first make it safe, really provably safe, and also reduce the bond time to less than one day. So, uh, essentially, however long time you think that the block is secure in the Bitcoin chain, one day is like 100 block deep. So, it's very, very, very secure. And unbonding is very important. So, we make it super secure. So, that's one. Second is that you can think of Bitcoin security as also a additional layer of security beyond the economic security of the app chain. So the app chain has their own validators, like a Cosmos SDK chain, like Stride, for example, will have their own validator set. They would be responsible for confirming transactions, right, block by block. So very fast confirmation. This is POS fastenality. Okay. Now, however, in some applications, which we talk to different app chains, there may be some important high value transactions that you want an extra level of security, extra layer of security. That you can achieve by waiting for the Bitcoin timestamp of the block to become, say, two block deep in the Bitcoin chain. Two block deep basically means it's Coinbase can confirm a Bitcoin transaction. So that's Coinbase level of security. So let's call it Bitcoin security. So that's the second type of use case of uh, the timestamp through Babylon. So it's, it's essentially trying to combine the best of both worlds, right? With the yes. uh, last finality of proof of stake, but with the basically the long long range attack security of of Bitcoin. Um, yeah. yeah, so basically short range by yeah. proof of stake, right. long range by Bitcoin, and medium range also for Bitcoin for important transactions. So that's the, the way we think about it. Uh, no, it's really interesting, and I mean, I think it's it's leveraging the same properties that that make Bitcoin a great collateral asset, um, and and you know, finding a second basically problem to solve. Um, it's a much more crypto native problem in, in terms of you know supplementing the security of proof of stake chains. Um, and and from a practical standpoint, this basically is it. You know, it's fair to say this will eventually mean the unbonding periods compressed to a matter of of you know hours instead of twenty one days. Yeah. So just one point, going a little bit into the technology and the contrast with, say, the rollup that Javad talked about, right? just to provide some contrast here, is that we actually, our design goal was to minimize the footprint onto the Bitcoin chain. So basically, we put 100, so each timestamp on the Bitcoin chain is 150 bytes. So two 
so-called OP return transaction. So it's a very, very small footprint. So that was the, um, our design goal is to, uh, use as little footprint in Bitcoin as possible, but yet still extract, uh, quite a lot of security. No, and it makes sense. And I think, is it fair to say, Javit, that, you know, that with the sovereign rollup, you, you, that is a challenge, right? Um, in terms of the amount of data that you would need needing to post to Bitcoin. And I mean, is there, is it, is it fair to say that the, it's hard to see like practical use cases for it right now, but, um, you know, potentially in the future, you can see something interesting come out of it, or is it at the very least a demonstration of the, you know, modular stack? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, this is, this was, uh, like the integration of Rollkit with, uh, Bitcoin was absolutely meant like, uh, a research project to, to, uh, understand the viability of, uh, like, uh, to check the feasibility of, uh, um, doing it actually. Um, uh, I think if, uh, a lot of data was being posted to Bitcoin, uh, it would bloat up the chain a lot. And definitely that is not like, um, the ideal way to do, uh, rollups. Um, uh, generally you want your data availability layer to be able to handle a lot of data without adding a lot of overhead. So, um, this is where the flexibility of using a modular framework like Rollkit comes in because you as a, as a application developer can choose which data availability layer you want. So for example, if you're using uh, Rollkit to, uh, write data to Ethereum, for example, and Ethereum is getting too congested, um, you might want to switch over to a different data availability layer and that might not be easily possible if you're using a very tightly coupled uh, code base or uh, uh, like for example a code base which is like very dependent on Ethereum like maybe it's parsing Ethereum transactions to read the data and you want to replace that with like Bitcoin and typically these transaction formats and almost everything about them is different. So you would spend a lot of time rewriting your code base to switch over from one data to different one. Um, and this is where Rollkit really shines because it has a modular framework. So all the components are independently abstracted away. The, uh, the component which handles, uh, for example, this is something I, uh, appreciated when I was implementing this was when I had to implement Bitcoin data availability layer, all I had to write was like two functions. One function is to submit data to Bitcoin, like, um, it's literally called submit block, uh, and another called retrieve blocks. So it was really simple to implement because of the abstractions that Rollkit provides. Um, and this is where application developers can make use of the uh, modularity to, uh, innovate and find, uh, whatever suits their needs best, uh, and implement that, uh, using the modular framework. That's uh, really Guys, powerful. I yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I, I've just got a question for, for the two of you, both David and Javed. Can you comment a little bit on, you know, what, you know, if both your solutions are implemented, what is the impact on kind of the Bitcoin side of things? So David, you mentioned that uh, part of your design philosophy was to sort of minimize the imprint or the footprint on Bitcoin block space. We know that ordinals, uh, right, you know, kind of taproot sort of led to this uh, revolution in Bitcoin block space. And there's a lot of uh, lively discussion coming from that side of the world in terms of what should Bitcoin block space be used for? I'd be very curious to understand uh, because we're not actually, uh, my understanding is that we're not actually 
you know, exporting, you know, physical Bitcoins to be used as collateral into these app chain sort of systems. Instead, it's exporting the properties of Bitcoin block space and the ability to actually uh, read and write onto Bitcoin block space. So can you just talk a little bit about kind of the reception from the Bitcoin side of things? And then what, if any, sort of benefits are there to, to Bitcoin? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, it's a very interesting question because the timestamps that we put in is very succinct. So it's a very small footprint. Mm. And so in terms of transaction fees, it's a very small transaction fees for Bitcoin. Uh, so that's a double-edged sword, I guess, right? From a, a cost point of view, uh, we're minimizing our cost. But from the Bitcoin point of view, the benefit they get is rather limited. So I think uh, we have thought about this. So there are several different ways of thinking about this. One is uh, the following question, which is if you want to use Bitcoin as a data availability, like what Jobbot mentioned about uh, Rocket, then you have to put the full data, put the full data onto Bitcoin. Mm. Our solution is the extreme, where you put no data on Bitcoin except for basically commitments of each block, which is very small. Do you get any benefit in the, in the middle? Is there any intermediate benefit in the middle? I think that's a really interesting question. But at this point, it's more a research question because we don't really know. So given sort of the ser ser uh, current security framework uh, analysis, we've done an analysis of this problem, which basically says that, well, is either one or nothing. Either you put the whole thing there or you don't put anything there. You don't seem to get any benefit in the middle. But however, I think that's a very interesting question. Precisely given the recent uh, excitement around order notes. Before order notes, the understanding was that Bitcoiners really hate people to put stuff onto the Bitcoin chain. After order notes, however, this seems to have changed. So I think this question, so this situation revived interest on that problem. So I would say one thing. Q is uh, in terms of getting more engagement from the Bitcoin community, more benefit. Uh, so we had a discussion with Sunny Algawa at the Shared Security Summit, mm -hmm. and there are some ideas on whether or not one can bring some, say, BTC, real BTC, into the Cosmos ecosystem to help with BTC staking as a way of getting another form of security, another form of security. Uh, but this is kind of an early discussion with uh, Sunny. Oh, going back to that question, though, I forgot to ask, answer early questions since I mentioned Sunny, was the integration with Osmosis. So maybe very briefly talk about that. Um, yeah, so we have uh, eight chains on our test net right now. We're going to 10, actually. And uh, hopefully Stry will join us soon. Um, so we have basically these chains on test net, but we decided to integrate with Osmosis uh, on the mainnet. So that was the governance proposal on the mainnet. So it's multiple phases. The first phase is basically opening IBC to get the BTC timestamp. And the latter phase is about uh, fast unbonding. So the fast unbonding requires us to feed the BTC timestamp information back onto the Osmosis chain and uh, control the unsticking module. So that requires some software changes and that will be later phases of the integration. But right now we have a acceptance of the governance proposal, about 99%, I guess. So we're very happy for the support. And um, and uh, the general support is for the full integration. 
But the specifics, we have to, we're going to have more governance proposal for the specific software changes. Right. Just, just out of curiosity, David, what does the cost structure of the economics look like there with that relationship? Um, you know, I assume Babylon incurs a cost to post data to Bitcoin, um, and then you know, to, it, you just add a margin on top of that cost. And is that coming from you know the community pool or or some DAO treasury of the app chains? Um, just, just yeah. So there's yeah. So the that's right. So we pay the transaction fees to Bitcoin. And then uh, we decided to increase, find new use cases, increasing amount of data that transaction fees will go up. Now, uh, the chains, the consumer chains, like Osmos is using Babylon, consuming Bitcoin security, will be paying in terms of um, fees because they have to timestamp. So the technology is that Osmosis and any chains will be timestamping onto Babylon. Babylon will be timestamping onto Bitcoin to sort of aggregate or timestamp together. So. The natural place where they can pay is at the uh, timestamp uh, when they pro when they commit a timestamp through IBC. So that would be the natural way to pay. In terms of exactly how much to pay, uh, we're still exploring the tokenomics because uh, we're trying to quantify uh, the value that Babylon through Bitcoin security get, gives to the app chain. So one value is the fast and bonding. So that we're doing some analysis, actually with Aiden, we're doing some analysis on that impact on liquid staking protocols. Um, another one is you can ask the question, well, now that you have Bitcoin security as sort of a backup or a slow uh, for high value transaction, how much does that reduce the cost of the native staking? Because everyone knows, every founder knows that to maintain a POS app chain, you have to spend a lot of tokens in basically uh, enticing people to stick on your chain. By having Bitcoin security, that cost should be reduced because now that you have Bitcoin security, how much is it reduced? Uh, because the reduction is quite important because then you can use the tokens to actually focus on the application they try to build to provide incentives for people who build the application. So that is a very important question and that we are discussing with multiple projects, including like Akash, was very interested in this question and to quantify this. And uh, yeah. No, that's really, really interesting. And there's powerful implications there, I think. Um, and maybe just to kick it over to, to Aiden, uh, you you, had a, you tweeted the other day that you, you saw there's basically like Bitcoin plus Cosmos, you know, Ethereum and rollups, this makes sense. Um, and I'd love to just start unpacking this idea you know, from the perspective of the builder. Why do you see Cosmos as you know potentially aligned with Bitcoin um, and, and Ethereum and rollups on the other side of the equation makes a lot of sense. Um, I think we're starting to hear a little bit about it, but curious uh, just to unpack this idea a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe I'll start with a comment that David just made about how fast unbonding actually can improve the health of the ecosystem, uh, and then I'll I'll jump over to this. So. If you think about liquid staking protocols, there's sort of a few layers of the stack. At the bottom layer, you have the liquid staking protocol itself. Um, so for example, in Cosmos, this is Stride. We provide liquid staking tokens for all of these different L1s. Um, on top of that, you have the pools. So these are the LP pools that have, uh, for example, SC Atom, Atom, SC Osmo, Osmo. Um, so they pair the liquid staking token with the native token. And on top of that, you have integrations such as uh, lending markets, um, 
you could buy NFTs with, for example, SD stars. This is something that's not out yet, but it could come out. So there's all kinds of applications and they're all, they, they all kind of rely on the health of these pools. Now, if you think about like how to measure the health of these pools, one metric is how healthy is the peg? Um, so for example, if you want to sell an SD atom for atom, how much atom do you get in return? Do you actually get the same amount of atom that you should, or is it depegged and do you get less than, uh, than you could redeem, uh, with stride? Um, and the, the way that fast unbonding actually increases the health of the peg is the health of the peg is a function of, uh, how easy it is to run the ARB between, for example, SD atom and atom. So if SD atom is cheap, one way that you could run the ARB is you buy the cheap SD atom, you go back to stride and you redeem it for, uh, for atom. And in this way, you actually get the full amount of Atom redeemable for ST Atom. So for example, if ST Atom is trading at 95 cents in the pool, you could go back to Stride and redeem it for a dollar. The problem is you have to wait for three weeks, um, or maybe not the problem, but this is the reason why, why uh, liquid staking tokens can depeg. Uh, I mean, we saw this on Ethereum where Steve had an infinite unbonding period, and therefore there were these massive depegs because no one actually knew whether they could or when they could redeem SCETH for underlying ETH. So by reducing the unbonding period, you make it much easier to run this ARB. Um, so the way that it works is if SC Atom is trading at 95 cents, someone can go in and they can buy that SC Atom for 95 cents. They can redeem it with stride. And if the unbonding period is only three days, that's actually a less expensive ARB to run than if the unbonding period is three weeks. Um, so, so by decreasing the unbonding period, you increase the health of all the pools. And uh, if you go one layer up the stack, you increase the health of all the integrations that rely on these pools. Um, so I guess to, to summarize that, that point, if, if you sort of believe in a future where liquid staking tokens are widespread, um, reducing the unbonding period is actually very desirable and it, it can increase the health of the entire ecosystem. Well, it makes total sense. It, you know, it, it basically you know, reduces the liquidity premium um from from the perspective of these the state native staking tokens which you know should drive down inflation rates uh to a more reasonable level in the long term but also you know as you mentioned makes kind of the usage of the liquid staking tokens even more safe uh which i think is great so I, I, you know I, I can see now why you know starting to make sense you know, a little bit more your tweet because it also you know improves improves the stride product um a little bit more but you know, is it is it fair to say that you know, basically Bitcoin um, app app chain, the Cosmos stack allows you to make incredible applications, um, and Bitcoin, you know, as as a very basically the opposite set of properties, um, and so you know by combining them, you can get something that is as close to, I guess, what's replicated on the Ethereum side as possible. Um, is that kind of the general idea with the with your tweet? Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, and to, to, uh, kind of unpack the tweet, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it, it was something along the lines of, uh, like cosmos and Bitcoin is a match made in heaven and you have Ethereum and rollups on the other side. Um, and you kind of have this strategy where you have a base layer that's very secure and you push the flexibility to the edges of the system. Um, so m maybe I'll talk, talk about that for a moment. Um, I think you sort of need to start with why shared security. So David touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think upstream of shared security, you actually have scalability. 
Um, so when I think of blockchains, I sort of think of them as trust markets. So you want to maximize trust. And the problem today is that there's way too much demand for block space than there is block space available or uh, highly trusted block space. And this kind of leads to things like the Alt L1 season in 2021, where you have all of these different um, Alt L1s springing up and uh, people kind of go to new blockchains. They don't really know what the trust properties of those are. And some of them actually have quite bad trust properties. Um, and I, I guess there's sort of two ways to think about scaling blockchains. So one way is vertical scaling. Uh, and this is just making your chain faster, increasing the block size, things like that. Um, and the other way to think about scaling is horizontal scaling. So this is where you get into ideas like the interchain and Cosmos, where you have lots of blockchains running in parallel that can communicate. Um, on Optimism, it's it's called the Superchain, I believe. I just started reading about this the other day. Very interesting. Uh, and uh, then I guess you have the more general version of this, which is just the multi-chain. And that's where you sort of have all of these different chains and they're connected with uh, various bridging standards. Um, and I, I think for the most part, uh, I mean, it's sort of the thesis of, of this entire podcast. Most blockchains have come around to the horizontal scaling vision. I would say Solana is like the one notable exception or holdout um, where they're, they're still trying to scale things vertically and just get bigger blocks and uh, faster block times. Um, but but most most ecosystems, I think, have come around to this horizontal scaling vision. Um, and I would frame the, the problem here as new chains, when you scale horizontally, have low economic security. So if you think about the cost of goods securing chains uh, for a POW chain, it's like the hash power. For a POS chain, uh, chain it's it's the, the um, cost to buy a two-thirds stake uh, or one-third if, if it's a liveness attack. Um, and for, for many new chains, the the market cap of the staking token is actually quite low. Um, and this can actually lead to very bad outcomes if you have thousands of chains. So right now, there aren't very many chains, even in Cosmos. Cosmos has like 50. But if you imagine a future where there are literally thousands of chains, you have uh, strong interdependence between all of those chains. So for example, if you bridge a token through 10 different chains, you actually care about what the weakest link in that path is. Um, and if you have thousands of chains, it's very plausible that you're like bridging between tens or uh, hundreds of chains even. So if, if one chain along that path fails, it can lead to very bad outcomes. Um, so I, I think this is sort of, uh, that, that's sort of the scalability side of things. And the solution that's been introduced is uh, the idea that these high security chains, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, should scale their trust to lower security chains. And there are tons of implementations of this, but I think they all reduce to the same thing, which is how to scale trust. Um, maybe I can talk briefly about the, the shared security landscape and what some of those solutions look like. And then I guess why I think Bitcoin and Cosmos are ideologically aligned, but I'll, I'll pause there for a moment. Uh, that, that would be great unless uh, somebody else wants to jump in. Cool. Um, so looking at the shared security landscape today, uh, the, the ecosystems that I'm most interested in personally are Ethereum, Cosmos, and Bitcoin. Um, if you look at Ethereum, there are sort of two solutions that I'm aware of. So there are there's this roll-up centric roadmap. Uh, the idea that you can scale Ethereum through Optimism uh, and Arbitrum, so optimistic rollups or ZK rollups. Um, and then you also have Eigenlayer, uh, which, you know, as, as David mentioned, uh, just had a big conference. It was very exciting to, to learn more about them. 
Um, and the idea here is that you can rehypothecate stake. So you can take your either uh, Ethereum LST or you can even run a node yourself. And on top of that, you can run another node and introduce new slashing conditions. Um, so it's it's a little bit different than the rollup centric roadmap, but another way to scale Ethereum. Um, on Cosmos, <laughs> there are at least four uh, shared security solutions that I'm aware of. So there's interchain security, there's opt-in security, uh, there is Alliance from the Terra ecosystem, and then there's Mesh from Osmosis. They all have some similarities and differences. Um, happy to talk about these, but the, I think the high level is in Cosmos, people are sort of just starting to experiment with this idea of shared security. And on the interoperability side, Cosmos is way ahead, but on the shared security side, I think Cosmos is sort of catching up to Ethereum. Um, and then on Bitcoin, of course, you have Babylon and Rollkit. Um, and I think Bitcoin sort of has a lot going for it. Um, it's extremely decentralized. It's probably the most decentralized chain and it's the least volatile crypto asset. And if you're thinking about uh, as a chain, like uh, looking for shared security, what you actually want, that's basically it. You want a chain that's extremely decentralized and you want a chain that has a low volatility crypto asset with a very high market cap. Um, so that it's very hard to manipulate. And, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah, and I, I would actually make a claim that there is alignment between Bitcoiners and Cosmos and they just don't know it yet. Actually, some people do know it, such as uh, you know David and um, I think Sunny has also tweeted about this. And Javid, of course, you're <laughs> building uh, Cosmos rollups on on Bitcoin, so some people definitely do know this. But I think it's it's underappreciated. Um, so maybe I'll talk about what Bitcoiners want and then what Cosmos builders want and how I sort of see these lining up. So. I tweeted out uh, a while ago, and I, I don't think I was the first to tweet this, that Bitcoin is an app chain where the application is digital gold. So there's already sort of an ideological alignment between Bitcoin and Cosmos. You know, Cosmos, I think the heart of Cosmos is app chains and IBC. And Bitcoin is an app chain. It doesn't have IBC, but it has sort of half of the Cosmos ideology. Um, it's, it's already a provider of trust. You know, Bitcoiners talk about like immutable money. Um, and uh, I think that relies on strong trust assumptions. And Bitcoiners really don't want anyone to, to mess with that. So the chain should just be minimal and secure, I guess, is, is what Bitcoiners say. Um, and it provides sort of digital golds, or maybe you would generalize it a little bit and just say trust. Um, I think the problem that Bitcoin has is how do you generate demand for Bitcoin block space and generate transaction fees? Um, so this is sort of the open question. Now, on the Cosmos side, what do Cosmos builders want? I, speaking from my perspective uh, and building Stride, I think most app chains want sovereignty, interoperability, and security. Now, the first two, sovereignty and interoperability, Cosmos has this. Um, you can build your own app chain. You can customize the execution environment. Uh, chains or protocols can even extract MEV. And IBC is sort of the cornerstone of Cosmos. And in my opinion, it's the best interoperability standard. So Cosmos has interoperability and security, uh, or, sorry, sovereignty and interoperability. It does not have security. Um, you have like all of these Cosmos chains and some of them have very low market caps. Um, and it's, it's uh, sort of obvious like why you'd want to hire a market cap on your chain. If 
say a massive validator or someone with a lot of money came in, they could buy up one third of your tokens and stop your chain or two thirds of your tokens and actually change the logic and steal the money. Um, so it's, it's not good that, that Cosmos chains are, are not secure. Um, but there's a lot of interest around Cosmos chains. Uh, so there, there's lots of users and lots of economic activity. So on the one hand, you have Bitcoin, which provides trust and it needs more demand for Bitcoin block space and transaction fees. And on the other hand, you have uh, Cosmos chains, which have lots of activity, great sovereignty, great interoperability, but less security. Um, so this is sort of uh, like the, the opportunity that I see. And with Ethereum, this already sort of exists. Like Ethereum has come around to this vision and they're just going to use rollups. So there's already a match. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty hard for Cosmos to insert themselves into that vision. Definitely possible. And there's people working on, for example, connecting IBC to Ethereum, like the Polymer team. Mm. But I, I think it's going to be harder. Um, so th this is sort of the opportunity that I see for Cosmos and Bitcoin to align. Yeah. I, I think that framing of sovereignty, interoperability, and security is is great. And I think it goes to something that David was saying earlier and that, you know, Cosmos is now working backwards to solve the the security piece. Um, whereas, you know, I think applications on Ethereum are now coming around to this idea of, of sovereignty um, and wanting their own application specific, you know, environments. Um, and also, you know, from a maybe a less of an application perspective, but more of an you know, infrastructure perspective, thinking about interoperability and how to recreate the benefits of IBC, um, you know, it, it, or or port over IBC itself. Um, so yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I'd let David or, or Java just anything you you'd want to react to there. Um, yeah, I think um, I would just say that um, like with Rollkit, um, you are able to uh, like choose the best of the. Uh, you can have like best of all the worlds. So along all these access like uh, sovereignty, in interoperability, security, um, you choose uh, like as an application developer, uh, what level of each of these you want, like what suits your needs best. And you can plug this in for your specific app because uh, not all apps, not app, not all apps might need like um, to have sovereignty, like they might choose to be settled on some uh, chain and uh, this is on the roadmap. So um, even though uh, like you have, we have uh, sovereign rollups already working on Rollkit, um, in the future, we're going to ha have the ability to have settled rollups. Um, and then um, on the roadmap, we also have shared sequencers, decentralized sequencers. So um, we are going to provide the maximum flexibility for uh, app developers to choose uh, what their uh, requirements are and um, they choose what, what suits their requirements best. Um, so yeah, I would just say that um, I think modularity allows the most flexibility for the developers to choose. And um, we are just providing this framework for uh, for developers to innovate around and um, have uh, best of all the worlds. Okay, so I think one one of the big differences that I'd like to to kind of tease apart here is, you know, when I kind of think about one of the advantages of the way Ethereum has sort of constructed their their roadmap, is it's very easy to sort of export Ethereum outside of the natural ecosystem, right? There's kind of a trusted solution there to get Ethereum onto, let's say, Optimism, and even I think it's pretty notable that Base is in lieu of a token, they're going to be using Ethereum as kind of their gas in their currency, and one of the um, 
just have to get your your perspective here from the Bitcoin side of things. And that one of the challenges that I see here is there's a little bit of I think there's a lot of alignment in between the sort of communities and ethos and philosophies. But I think one of the the challenges is going to be there's already a lot of internal debate about within Bitcoin about hey what should we really be using our block space for? And certainly some of the kind of OGs on the Bitcoin side of things are extremely protective of Bitcoin block space. And without that ability to export Bitcoin and create a little bit more buying pressure for Bitcoin, the asset, I think you're kind of losing a big uh, quiver, right, in your in your arsenal for what makes this appealing from the Bitcoin side of things. So maybe just any any commentary there about, um, you know, some of the challenges or frictions that you either see from the lack of ability to actually take Bitcoin out of the Bitcoin ecosystem or any sort of communal uh, bump ups, you know, in between Cosmos and, and Bitcoin. Or maybe there's not, and you think it's going to be very smooth. Yeah, I, I can maybe jump in with uh, with with two two protocols I'm aware of that might that might help smooth this. I'm I'm less sure about the ideological challenges, but I sort of agree. I think if Bitcoin were exported and uh, maybe Cosmos platforms um, or DeFi protocols start importing Bitcoin, I do think there there might be a little bit more uh, alignment behind that because there's demand for Bitcoin and it's happening off of the Bitcoin chain. Um, so uh, the, the two protocols that I would mention are, I, I think there is actually a trustless Bitcoin bridge in Cosmos called Nomic. Um, I haven't used it personally, but I, I believe uh, it's it's um, fully trustless and you can actually already export Bitcoin into Cosmos. Um, the, the other protocol that might drive demand for Bitcoin is actually Terra's Alliance module. Um, so I'll, I'll give a quick overview of, of what this does. Um, I know there's like uh, different connotations with Terra Luna at this point, um, but I, I think the the Alliance module in and of itself is actually pretty interesting. So the idea behind Alliance is you have Alliance chains and all it means to be an Alliance chain is you can stake exogenous assets on an Alliance chain. Um, so this is actually built for staking derivatives, but technically it could be any asset. Um, and the way that it works on Luna is you have the Luna blockchain and you have alliance chains around them. And to drive economic activity for the, the, chain, the alliance chains in the Luna alliance, you would take ST Luna, so the staking derivative of Luna, and you would stake it on the alliance chain. In return, you get staking yields from that new chain. So if there's like I don't know, maybe Kujira, which is like some DeFi protocol, and uh, it has a very high yield. If you stake SC Luna on that chain, you get uh, Kuji rewards, and the Kujira stakers get SC Luna. So there's this sort of like economic um, alignment, or uh, the the futures of these chains become interwoven as the tokens are distributed between both communities. Um, and I think using, I, I think chains outside of the Terra Luna ecosystem are going to use Alliance. It's just one of many Cosmos shared security solutions. But you can imagine a future where if you're a Bitcoiner and you want a little bit of exposure, not much, but maybe a little bit of exposure to a new chain, say it's a lending platform, um, you could actually stake your Bitcoin on that chain and receive staking rewards from that chain in return. So you, maybe you give up a little bit of Bitcoin. Um, or maybe you don't give up any Bitcoin um, and the service that you're providing is just the additional security of staking your asset on this chain. And in return, you get paid a little bit for it. Um, so the sort of one plausible way that Bitcoin could be uh, exported from the Bitcoin chain and also used 
to secure chains in Cosmos. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of think about it as like a almost like capital efficiency for your Bitcoin, especially if you know we're recording and who knows, right? We're recording this on uh, you know March seventh of, of twenty three. Maybe in a couple of years, this whole Operation Choke Point will be a uh, not super fond memory. But you know, as like a very real example, right? When you're like, let's say if you're applying for a mortgage, right, or something like that in traditional finance. Um, up until very recently, like usually what they do is they'll do a survey of all of your assets. Up until recently, Bitcoin was not only, or crypto is not only neutral, it was actually a negative uh, for you when you're applying for a mortgage. Right now, they basically upgraded it to neutral. So if you think about it from the perspective of a Bitcoiner or someone who owns a lot of Bitcoin, I that, you know, call it exporting, call it additional ways to leverage your, your sort of assets. Um, you know, you can kind of get it from two different financial systems. One could be traditional finance, which is increasingly hostile to all sources of crypto, Bitcoin included, or there could be these new, very interesting uh, sort of crypto native avenues. At least that, that's how I sort of bucket it in my head. Cosmos could be, you know, a really interesting avenue to consider. So I just want to add a thought on that, if it's okay. So yeah. I, if you think about Cosmos, right, it's like compared to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is 400 billion. Cosmos is of the order of tens of billions, right? So if you look at like 50 Cosmos chains, they're like startups for Bitcoiners. So yeah. you can now stick on any of these chains. It's like investing in startup. You can pick and choose the ones you want to secure, help secure. So I think that could be a potential uh, claim. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love, love that idea. And I see a lot of parallels there to, to eigenlayers restaking. Um, and I can understand why you guys were so aligned there. Um, and yes, maybe just to wrap up, I mean, something we've been talking about a lot this season is just the life cycle of, of app chains, um, starting from you know basically just finding PMF and, and iterating on product and then determining, okay, how much more scalability do I need or customization do I need? Should I move to my own full stack app chain, or should I move to maybe an app specific rollup? Um, and you know, there there are still we're still very early here, so there aren't a lot of a ton of examples to point to of of builders who have have really thought about this strategically. Um, and and I think Stride is is one of the very few examples that that is live and has at least begun this journey. Um, and so, you know, I think would love to love to. Just pick your brain, Aiden, on the strategic rationale, uh, but but behind each stage of your roadmap, right? So you started as, and what you are right now is a sovereign, um, you know, full stack app chain with an independent validator set. Uh, you'll be soon transitioning to a you know, Cosmos Hub consumer chain, um, and then I know you have you have long term plans around you know, different ways to secure your chain in, in a way that reflects, I guess, the usage of your product um, in the stride liquid staking tokens. Um, so I'd just love to kind of hear your thoughts on what was the strategic rationale behind, you know, launching as a sovereign app chain? What is What was the rationale behind, you know, your transition to ICS um, and then, you know, your, your plans for the future beyond that? Yeah. Um... So, I think uh, when you, if you look at Cosmos, uh, I think the best manifestation of the Cosmos vision is sovereign app chains and IBC. Um, and I know you guys have already talked a lot about app chains and IBC, so maybe I won't go too much into that. 
But when we launched Stride as a sovereign option, part of our vision is to have Stride be very minimal, very secure, and have a great UX. And I'll, I'll just briefly touch on each of these. So uh, I think the app chains that are more minimal, closer to true app chains rather than general L1s, are going to have uh, they're, they're going to reap the most rewards of being an app chain, such as extracting MEV, uh, such as um, forkability, um, so the ability to, to change the logic if something goes wrong or if there's a big hack. Um, and then there's additional benefits that, that you get as well. Um, in terms of security, because we're a liquid staking platform, you can actually look at uh, TVLs across different DeFi protocols. And liquid staking platforms typically have some of the highest TVLs of all DeFi protocols. And they're also very central to proof of stake ecosystems. Um, they, they touch staking, which is sort of the heart of proof of stake. So it's, it's very important in our view that liquid staking protocols are highly secure. Um, and on the UX side, I think the people will talk about like the LS. LST wars or something where there's all of these different liquid staking protocols and they're all battling for market share. I think the real battle is between centralized exchanges and decentralized liquid staking protocols. If you go and buy, say, Atom on Coinbase, you're going to get a little bit of yield. It's, it's very similar to holding a liquid staking token, um, but Coinbase takes a bunch of it and it centralizes the network. So this is not great. Um, so that's just a little bit of background on Stride. Now, when we initially launched, uh, we were in competition. St we still are with lots of liquid staking protocols. So we wanted to move very fast. Uh, we were also building something that was fairly complex. So Stride is really an interchain DeFi protocol. There's logic that executes on Stride. Uh, Stride owns accounts which do staking and unstaking on other chains. And we have to send packets to these other chains to say, hey, stake these tokens. There's a new, a new deposit or unstake them because someone wants to redeem. And uh, when you introduce this asynchronous logic, the complexity space just kind of balloons. Uh, so I, I think as people start building more interchain uh, DeFi, this is, they're, they're going to realize this, and it's, it's actually very challenging to, to build interchain DeFi. Um, so we wanted to move fast and be minimally complex. Um, and also, like we're a startup, so you can think about it. We're like pouring water into a leaky bucket. We don't have very much time. Um, so we, we opted to launch with a sovereign validator set. Now, as we've talked about, bootstrapping high economic security is hard. So our economic security is actually not where we'd like it to be today. But launching with a sovereign validator set allowed us to move very fast. And in my opinion, uh, bootstrapping a validator set is actually not hard in Cosmos today, at least. Uh, when we did our testnet, for example, there were like a thousand validators on our testnet. And uh, we only have a hundred on mainnet. So there's really an abundance of uh, very high quality validators distributed throughout the world. Um, so this is sort of like phase one for Stride, uh, which is moving fast. And that's why we chose to launch with a sovereign validator set. Now, as I mentioned, liquid staking protocols touch something that's uh, close to the heart of proof of stake ecosystems, and they can have very high TVL. So you actually want liquid staking protocols to have very high security. And specifically with Atom, there are people that are, um, uh, I think, uncomfortable with the idea of Stride holding lots of Atom stake because it moves power from Atom stakers over to the Stride chain. So if the Stride chain becomes 
a large staker of Atom, for example, uh, it might make some Atom stakers uncomfortable. So we started looking into interchain security, uh, which is also known as replicated security. It's one of the many Cosmos um, forms of shared security that I talked about. And the way that it works is Stride is going to onboard to interchain security and our validator set will be the Cosmos Hub validator set. Um, so the Cosmos Hub validators will validate blocks for the Stride chain. Now, the, the governance process will still happen through Stride's current validator set. They'll transition to something more like, we've been calling them governators. So they do votes, but they don't validate blocks. Um, so Stride will inherit the economic security of the Cosmos Hub, and it will have the sovereignty of a standard app chain. So it's sort of the, the, best, of, uh, the best of both worlds. So we retain sovereignty, we retain interoperability, and um, our net security expenditure might actually go down. Um, so today, uh, Stride has something like 10% inflation. It might actually be that we have to pay the Cosmos Hub less than we pay our current validator set, to secure the stride chain. And in return, we get much higher economic security. Um, so this is sort of V2. Uh, and I, I know there's like many iterations of interchain security or replicated security. There's versions where only a subset of the entire validator set validates the chain. Uh, there's versions where you have two validator sets. So you have the stride validator set and the Cosmos Hub validator set, and they both have some power, maybe each has 50%. Um, and then there's of course mesh security, which is, which is also coming. Um, but the fact is interchain security is the only shared security model that is live or soon to be live in a week um, in Cosmos today. So at Stride, we're, we're looking to make Stride as secure as possible while retaining sovereignty, full sovereignty and full interoperability. Um, and interchain security allows us to, to do that. Um, now, uh, Miles, you were, you were touching on um, sort of a future vision which I think is, or personally, this is the most interesting to me, which is sort of like what Sunny talks about, where you have this NATO alliance of many chains and all of their economic features are interwoven. And if one validator misbehaves on one chain, they get slashed on another chain. Um, and this is this idea of mesh security. And the idea with mesh security is as a sovereign app chain, you can inherit different amounts of security from many different chains. Um, and this is actually really useful for Stride because as I mentioned earlier, you know, if Stride is providing a liquid staking token for a chain, that chain is actually moving some of its staking power to a different validator set. So that chain probably wants um, their validator set represented on Stride. And you can actually do this with, with mesh security, sort of an early idea, but what we've been thinking is uh, you can look at the, the TVL of each token on Stride and consume security uh, proportional to TVL across these different chains. So say uh, if, if um, Stride has 50% SD Atom by TVL, 25% SD Osmo, 25% SD Juno, Stride would inherit half of its security from the Cosmos Hub, and then one quarter from Osmosis and one quarter from Juno. And uh, it's, it's sort of a more fair way for, for Stride to secure itself. No, I, I love that. And, and I think what, what really comes through to me there is that you know at each stage here you're you're thinking about okay what security model and what infrastructure would make the best possible product right at each each stage you're you're really improving the product um and i think that that's you know kind of a, a big theme of what we've been trying to get into this season um and i can totally see it you know 
springy and mesh at the end to kind of it's almost like you're matching assets with liabilities um in, in some in the you know in that perspective um so yeah i, I really really appreciate you giving that overview there um and uh yeah i'll turn it back over to mike yeah I think, guys, uh, that that's all the time we have. But we really dug into uh, you know some super interesting interesting concepts today. And um, thank you all so much. I know this is uh, you know fr- frankly like a very new area, and a lot of these uh, a lot of the topics that we touch on today are still developing. But really appreciate all of you coming on and and sharing your thoughts. And thank you for helping Miles and I bookend what's been uh, a really fun season uh, where I think both of us learned a whole lot. So really appreciate all your time and guys highly recommend that you go check out uh everyone's project here um so aiden javid david thank you so much really appreciate it thanks guys thanks mike thanks boss all right buddy that was a that was a really fun episode just a great way to to bookend the season what'd you think yeah couldn't agree more um one of my favorite episodes i thought we covered a ton of ground um and also tied tied a lot of these themes together um really nicely and brought in a new angle that we haven't talked about in Bitcoin um, and how this, you know, plays into every, uh, into the app chain thesis. So really enjoyed that. Yeah. There was a bit of sort of poetic symmetry in that, you know, Aiden pointed this out, but Bitcoin is sort of the original app chain and it's, it it's very apt on kind of a whole bunch of levels that we ended up this season talking about the original app chain and some novel use cases for that, for that app chain. Um, right. and, and just to dig into that a little bit, I mean, Bitcoin has been very in the community has been very, very, you know, um, I'd say intentional about being an app chain. Um, yeah. you know, this, this ordinals NFT, uh, you know, uh, development is, is pretty much the first deviation from, from Bitcoin as an app chain with its product being right. This, this digital goal. And I think all the properties that make, you know, Bitcoin, a great collateral asset, um, you know, can be, can be exported, um, in, you know, but like what we're seeing with Babylon and to solve other use cases. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it's not changing any properties of Bitcoin itself. Bitcoin can still be, you know, an app chain, but it, it's, it's creating, I guess, more, more value. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I thought, thought it was a really interesting way to kind of bring everything back. Um, yeah. And- you know what this made me this made me think of two things. So one, this made me think of one of the ideas that Sonny brought up in a in a much earlier episode of the season, which was he was talking about the idea of permissioning when it comes to app chains. Very difficult to, you know, if you have a permissionless app chain, there's a natural tension there because you want to be very specific about the design of that app space, your your block space, what the uses are. On the other hand, you want it to be open and permissionless. And it's very funny, like the original location where that played out was in the Bitcoin block space. And we're seeing that reignited with, we didn't really get into this, but all of this was made possible by Taproot. And then we saw Casey Rodemore create ordinals. And now there's this kind of renaissance and it's reigniting the debate around this, but it was a problem or, or just an issue or something to think about that Sunny flagged. And this new, especially the like Babylon, I think, I think again, people are going to stop, start talking about the difference between Bitcoin with a small b and Bitcoin with a capital B, and that yep. Bitcoin with a large B being the the network itself, and then there's the small B, which is Bitcoin the asset. And I think it's an important distinction to draw that we kind of got into here because what we're talking about exporting is Bitcoin the large B, right? We're talking about the ability to read and write on Bitcoin's block space. 
And that's different from exporting Bitcoin, the small b, the asset. That's that's an important distinction to dig into, I think. Oh, no, it, it 100% is. Um, and, you know, I think we, the Aiden, Aiden framed it really well um, yeah. in terms of, you know, every, every app developer is looking for sovereignty, interoperability, and security. Um, and, you know, Cosmos has started with the interoperability and the sovereignty, um, and now they're looking for ways to to, to augment the security piece, right? Um, and Cosmos has a lot of, as he likes to say, undercover Bitcoin maxis. Um, and so, you know, it it makes a lot of sense, I guess, that they would look to Bitcoin to potentially be one of the main solutions there, along with like you know all these other uh, security models that are developing, like mesh security, um, like replicated security. These are all very, very complementary, um, and yeah, I, I think there's it could be a, a budding relationship between between Bitcoin um, community and and this Cosmos ecosystem. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, one of the I'm very interested to see in in a lot of ways there there are going to be two ways that this might play or two components that determine how this eventually ends up playing out. There is from the perspective of the app chain builder, kind of the Aiden perspective, right? Which is what exactly can Bitcoin security do to improve the product that I'm building here? And we kind of talked, and I want to get your opinion specifically on what he mentioned about um, shortening the unbonding period for proof of stake chains or tendermint based uh, proof of stake chains. And then there, the other component that's going to play out here, and frankly, there's not a lot of control here. I think we all just have to watch and see what happens. But this is kind of like the OP wars, right? And Bitcoin has to decide what the model that it wants for its own block space, right? And do we want to broaden the definition of what can uh, settle to or right or be written with the, in the Bitcoin block space? Because the two different solutions that we talked to here had very different design principles in mind. There was Babylon, which was set to specifically minimize the footprint, right? Because the thought being, hey, Bitcoiners don't like it when you when you bloat their state, right? Um, right. On the other hand, you don't have a, you, you don't get the security, the transaction fees from that either. And then you've got the roll kit, which is kind of the opposite of that. And you can actually write all of that data right to the Bitcoin blockchain. The issues there being you very quickly run into performance issues and the Bitcoiners might not like it. So two very interesting components there. Yeah, exactly. You know, it it definitely drives more demand for Bitcoin block space, the roll kit approach, um, but leaves, you know, it presents a lot of challenges in terms of the performance of the actual application. And as you know, to your point, you may not actually be all that aligned with the Bitcoin community. Um, but on the Babylon side, you know, you are basically posting as little data, uh, data as possible. Um, and I thought it was, you know, really interesting from David. I asked him kind of about what what do the economics look like here, and and what yeah. what would Babylon, you know, basically charge chains that it's helping augment their security, um, and you know. One way to think about it is okay. What does it just cost to post this data to Bitcoin? You slap a margin on top of that, and that's what you charge. You know the proof of stake chain that that's leveraging Babylon for this. Um, but that's not the way that he's thinking about this, right? He says, "What is the value that Babylon is providing to proof of stake chains?" Well, that is really determined by how much is the does the inflation come like could come down. Right, yep. that's the stakers. When you change the unbonding period from 21 days to say five days or three days, um, so for example, Osmosis has, uh, I believe, staking rate right now of 22. percent 
um, which is the equivalent of you know millions and millions of dollars uh, per year in, in value coming out of the emission schedule and going to stakers. Uh, that is really determined by, okay, what does the staking rate need to be in order to incentivize enough delegators to stake their Osmo and have it you know be locked up for 21 days? Um, well, how, if that's 22 percent, maybe that's maybe it only comes maybe it comes all the way down to 10 percent if the unbonding period was say three days or five hours. Um, that you know in 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 terms of the actual cost is the value that that Babylon is providing. Um, and you know, that also leads me to think like people on the Bitcoin side are eventually going to be like, okay, well, Babylon's leveraging Bitcoin to provide this service. Babylon is, you know, providing millions and millions of dollars of value to proof of stake chains, um, by reducing the unbonding periods, you know, Babylon might see a lot of those economics, obviously the proof of stake chains get. Um, the, all the benefits of increased security and, and protocol health. Um, how does the value, or does it at some point flow back to to the actual Bitcoin community? Um, I think that that's you know what we kind of touched on it. Uh, but but this idea of being able to stake your Bitcoin is 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 really interesting and seems very similar to you know um, eigenlayers with uh, what they're coming out with uh, Ethereum restaking. Yeah. That was Aiden, Aiden sort of brought that up when we talked about exporting the small B Bitcoin. And that that I think, you know, if you if I really thought about it, I think that is going to be something that has to get solved here. Because I do think, just to be totally honest, this is a little bit my read, right? My own opinion here. But uh, I think it'll be a lot easier to to get Bitcoiners on your side if there's a way to uh to buy some more Bitcoin. That being said, I actually, you know, the more I think about that, I'm actually not even sure it's super relevant what that to the true credit of Bitcoin, it is so decentralized that, you know, you have kind of the high priests of Bitcoin that are saying things like miners might censor these trends and maybe they, there's some merit in censoring these transactions uh, or this isn't good. You know, ordinals were kind of generally shamed in the beginning and these were seen as invalid. But there's not much they can do. There's not much they can do. And at the end of the day, this might happen whether Bitcoiners like it or not. And there, there is a concept that I think Bitcoin kind of has it it got distribution right it got mindshare and distribution and people that care about it but i don't see the way that it like scales beyond that and what i see in this budding relationship is i thought the other thing that david mentioned that i was really interested in is this could also be almost on a transaction by transaction basis right like let's say you have one transaction that you care an enormous about an enormous amount about maybe you add an additional security guarantee, right? I'm sure this model is still being baked out, but that is really interesting. So then suddenly you have transactions that are actually originating on totally separate chains being written to the Bitcoin blockchain. And depending on, this is where I think the Bitcoiners opinion does matter a little bit, depending on what happens there, it can actually create a meaningful amount of demand for block space and, you know, help save their security budget. That And that seems to be the big uh, challenge. That yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, um, this definitely plays into the security budget, uh, long, the long-term concerns of Bitcoin basically. Um, yeah. but it's always at tension, you know, and there's always potentially at odds with, with, you know, the, the sanctity of their block space. Right. Uh, right. And so it's going to be some trade-offs that they need to make. Um, 
but I think it's really exciting just bringing it back to the app chain side that, you know, this is, I guess, Cosmos working backwards, right? To, yeah. to solve the security piece. Um, whereas Ethereum is now, is now, you know, the Cosmosification of Ethereum is, is, is underway. Um, and they are, have the security, right? And now they're seeing the value of sovereignty. Um, and that is going to, you know, drive the creation of a lot of these app specific rollups. Um, and then it's just about figuring out the interoperability piece, um, that, that, you know, Cosmos is way ahead of, in, in terms of IPC. So, yeah, I think it was a great app because it pulled all of this together. Um, and we had some, you know, very different perspectives, but, um, yeah, I thought, thought, thought it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. One, one question that I, that I wish we had asked a little bit more was, I wonder if one of the other things I think Cosmos needs a little bit of an answer for is how is it going to attract users to its products, right? We really focus on this from the standpoint of you build the best product. What's the security architecture or apparatus that's going to support that product. But then there's the pretty obvious question of how do you go out and, and get the people that want to use that? And I, you know, I'm, I'm very curious. I think ordinals showed that there is a large contingency of people within Bitcoin that actually like NFTs and some of these other use cases that we talk about in crypto. I think there are probably a lot of Bitcoin, Bitcoin, closet Bitcoiners in Cosmos land. Yeah. I think it actually could, you know, a, a partnership right between these two communities. Bitcoin is a very large and engaged community. I think it actually could move the needle on the user side of things as well. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think the big question to me is what is the overlap between, you know, Bitcoin holders uh, in the Bitcoin community and users of decentralized applications? Um, right. As, you know, I would say like a kind of a gross generalization in the last cycle is that a lot, a lot of the Bitcoin community would obviously hold in, you know, their Bitcoin, but they would use, you know, they would, it wasn't, didn't seem like there was a huge overlap between Bitcoin holders and say, you know, DeFi summer users. Uh, it seemed like they were very, very different, right? Um, and now that a lot of the centralized, you know, applications have gone down um, and potentially this Bitcoin or that Bitcoin community, you know, was using them or um, also it warmed up to the idea of using apps on Ethereum, you know, can, can you actually get distribution from, from Cosmos's perspective, by tapping into this community, um, yeah, they, are they would they be receptive to be you know using these these apps if there's some alignment to Bitcoin? Yeah, I would bet that overlap that Venn diagram is bigger than you might think at first. True. I understand what the public perception of that is, but I've talked to enough Bitcoiners that have CryptoPunks uh, and use Uniswap and like are are actually on chain users, but. There is a big like one thing to to be aware of is that a lot of people sort of get trapped by their persona, right? Uh, you know, you talk about Bitcoin for enough years, and it's hard to to talk about anything else, right? And it goes it goes both ways, right? Like let's just be honest, crypto is a super tri super tribal ecosystem, especially on Twitter or podcasts and whatever. But I think most people are hearing crypto. You're at least a relatively curious person, you know. You you uh, so I I think the overlap is I bet that it's bigger than. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it compelling enough? You know, this alignment that it would actually, you know, uh, get get those users to move over to Cosmos. I don't know, but I yeah. agree. That's probably a, a larger overlap than we give 
that could be, you know, Bitcoin community credit for. You know, Miles, just just to wrap this all up, one of the the most fun parts about these last two episodes, at least for me, is we started talking about the app chain thesis, you know, brought and I think it belongs in, in Cosmos generally, right? Uh, you know, I think that's where the strongest com- core community of people that believe in that believe in that idea sort of originated. By the way, I I also know we we haven't really talked a whole lot about about Polkadot on the season, but I know that uh, the folks and on Polkadot like also sort of believe in this vision. But it's been really cool to see this idea sort of propagate to other ecosystems, and that's what was so much fun about the last two episodes. Like we really saw that tacit, almost actually I would argue explicit embrace coming from Optimism with their super chain, and now it was a ton of fun to end with with Bitcoin. Um, yeah. you know, succeeding, you know, proving the app chain thesis in more ways than one. So, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think what would be amazing to see is, is, you know, kind of, um, and all of these communities embracing this alignment and working together on the interoperability standards. Um, because I think that that is like the last piece that connects, you know, the Ethereum super chain to app to app specific chains and cosmos you know to to even you know other ecosystems like like polygon avalanche and 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 Polkadot, as we've talked about um and then you know you can if if all if if these chains all accept some sort of standards around interoperability then you can truly let you know the best possible product to find what the infrastructure is. Like for DYDX, the infrastructure is a full stack app chain because that's what makes the best possible product. That might not be true for, you know, other other applications and they'll they'll, you know, stand up their own app specific rollups on, you know, OP chain or or on the Celestia stack. Um mm-hmm. and if there was, you know, it, it, it's like a common standard, you know, interoperability for interoperability then you know, it wouldn't have to be as tribal. It wouldn't have to be as, you know, um, zero sum, right? It's just everybody would be, every every application would be able to talk to each other and kind of let the product define what the stack looks like and what their security model looks like. Um, mm. So coming more and more clear to me that like this is, you know, probably the last missing link. You know, what's funny about that is you're just reminding me how sometimes how fast crypto moves, but also how, how slow it moves as well. The... Very first event that Blockworks ever did, uh, when Jason and I still had our full time jobs, and the uh, name of the event was Crypt Talks. Uh, this was uh, February of 2018. One of the one of the panels that we hosted was on the subject of interoperability and the fact that we needed interoperability standards. So it's just funny how like. Anyway, this episode is very, very full circle for me in in a lot of ways. But this is what my way of saying I'm in I'm in violent agreement with you there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, it's been so much fun digging into this, and you know, I think we've heard like the, a, a awesome range of perspectives from you know infrastructure builders to application builders, um, and and really kind of digging into. I guess the choices they made and the different trade-offs, um, you know, along the way. And we, we heard that from, from Ain and at the end there, um, you know, exactly like the strategic rationale that goes into picking the stack, the security model, um, and, and picking, you know, making those choices with the product, you know, first, like that is, that is the, the number one goal, like you're solving 
core objectives for the product, right? Um, and letting the letting the stack kind of, you know, be whatever makes the best version of that product. Agreed. Agreed. All right, buddy. Well, I think we can wrap it there. And uh, listeners, Miles and I will will be back next uh, next week, just the two of us to kind of dissect uh, major learnings and takeaways. And we'll just uh, kind of do a, a retrospective on the season, even though we, we kind of bookended a lot of it uh, with this discussion here. But um, hopefully you all enjoyed this one. This was, I think you can tell from both Miles and I, this was, this was a fun one to do. So hope you all enjoy it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, everyone.